This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. One of my favorite things to do in life, especially on the radio, is to combine different people from different walks of life, different areas of expertise, different sensibilities, and sort of play conversational mad scientists and pour all these components into a potion and see what erupts and what a potion we have assembled for you this hour. Uh, very, very pleased to be joined by... Three of my uh, favorite people, one of whom I think is actually parking. I may have given her the wrong time, but she'll be here any minute. Uh, Three people who are just really great New Yorkers, great people, and wonderful communicators. John McDonough, cab driver, comic, playwright, and radio talk show host, and the uh, the partner of the uh, gentleman that I just spoke to, Malachi McCourt. John, it's good to see you. Yeah, and thanks for doing that interview. And I, I, I was stuck in my car, even though I listen to Malachi every Sunday. Uh, that, but Frank, I wanted to bring up about your travel habits. I was oh, listening boy. to you during the week. Oh, you know, people have come over on coffin ships from Ireland, didn't eat. You cannot go from Long Island to Staten Island. You had to stop at <laughs> Joey's Pizza on 69th and Grand to eat in order to get to Staten Island. I did. Yeah. Have you, have I, you seen that traffic? That traffic <laughs> is tough. Traffic. <laughs> have you been to that particular pizza yeah, shop? Yeah. Yeah. I don't live that far away. It's pretty good. Isn't yes. It? It yeah. Is. I like that sesame crust pizza. But let me tell you, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, I was going to go to a place called Rosa's, and, and it's, it's just up the street from it. Right. right. And so it said that I was there. And then I went in there and I thought, okay, maybe it's one of those things where it used to be Rose's and they changed the name and I'd already ordered my pizza. And then I asked, did this used to be Rose's? And they said, no, 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 that we were always, uh, we were, we were something else 40 years ago when my father ran it. And I said, oh, I can't really leave now. Did I miss out a lot by not going to Rose's? Yeah, uh, Rose's is better than Joey's. Ah, Uh, I like it, but my favorite is, uh, uh, on Metropolitan Avenue, Carlos, which oh, is well, uh, in middle of Now I have but. to go back to Maspeth. That's it. All right. And uh, also joined as well by a film producer, entrepreneur, and legendary nightlife impresario. If your edition of the New York Post's page six uh, column does not have his name in it, chances are uh, you better ask for your money back because you have gotten an incomplete edition of the New York Post. Very, very pleased to welcome back my old friend, Noel Ashman. Noel, how are you? I'm good. Very happy to be here. I, oh, it's happy to. I'm happy to see you. Now everybody's still talking about your uh, birthday party at uh, at the Hustler Club, and uh, apparently this was the event to be at. I thank you for inviting me, but I was busy, you know, trying to be on the radio. But uh, <laughs> apparently this was quite a quite a scene. It was fun. Yeah, we, had a, we actually had a really good time. Yeah, and a very a big a diverse crew. You had uh, you had uh, Jeffrey Gurian, who's an entity unto himself, with uh, U.S. Senate candidates and uh, all sorts of actors and rappers, all in one room. Only you can assemble a room like that. We did. Yeah, it was like a diverse uh, group of people, and it definitely was that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that uh, that it was. All right. Um, you let me, before we get into some of the news of the day, let me ask you a little bit about what you're what you're up to. Um, you produced several of uh, Bruce Willis's more recent films. Obviously, we got the news uh, le- recently that Bruce Willis is having some health problems. He's had to retire from acting. 
What was it like working with Bruce Willis on a personal level? And how did you take the news that he's not going to be acting anymore? It's sad. You know, I really think Bruce is one of the all-time greats. Uh, I always said he's kind of the uh, world's best uh, actor to play the ordinary man. And I just, I, I had incredible respect for him. And it's very, very sad because I, you know, I think I love his movies. I've always have. I, it was such an honor to, you know, produce something that he was in. Yeah, and now these days uh, you uh, are doing an interesting picture with uh, John Travolta, and it's called uh, Cash Out. Yes, I met John Travolta when he was doing uh, when he was doing Gotti, or actually right after that. And uh, that he, was me too. I, I remember <laughs> uh, he was one of the he. I think maybe on par with Kelsey Grammer, the nicest celebrity that I've ever met. I mean, you talk about a down to earth, regular guy. What's he like to work with? He's a sweetheart. He's, he, yeah, he really is a very genuinely good person. Yeah, and, and his wife was too, which is so sad that she's not with. Yeah, him. no, that's for sure. She, she, Kelly Preston, uh, was uh, was really terrific. Now, uh, Bo Deedle is no stranger to this audience. He does a very popular podcast, One Tough Podcast. He's a regular contributor on the on the Bernie and uh, Bernie and Sid show. You're doing something with him, also, right? What are you doing with him? Um, well, he's in my movie called Three Days Rising, which is coming out probably early next year. I would guess. Um, it's with Bo's in it, uh, Mickey Rourke, Ice-T, Peter Green, Frank Whaley, Fredro Starr. We have a big, big group of people now, in that one. Is the thing to do these days, is it, uh, is it direct to streaming or, do, are there, or is there still a market for broad theatrical releases of motion pictures? Definitely, yeah. Mo- most of my films are go theatrical, whether it's a limited release or a bigger one. Right. Um, but yeah, some goes. It depends on the movie. Yeah, no. So uh, we'll we'll keep keep us posted on that. All right, a lot to get to. Let me begin with uh, some sad news that we got late last week: the uh, stabbing of uh, of Salman Rushdie, a literary giant and novelist who has been under a fatwa uh, since the 1980s. I had thought that the uh, the fatwa was rescinded, but if you look at the comments that uh, came out from the Iranian government this week, they did they blamed pretty much uh, Rushdie himself for. For his stabbing, very little blame, uh, if any, towards the person that stabbed him. Uh, let me be- begin with you, John McDonough. You actually have uh, met Salman Rushdie, right? Yeah, when he was the head of Penn, uh, they have a literary festival one week a year where they bring in writers from all over the world, and they had me as a cab driver to read a poem. And e- even in, in the play I do about driving a yellow cab for 40 years, I, I described meeting Salman Rushdie, and in the back of your head, you were saying, yeah, I might not want to take a picture too close to him and be collateral damage because of right. the fatwa. And in, in the play, I say about, you know, what the fatwa and satanic verses, because I was also picked to be on The Amazing Race, and I said the premise of that show was you go around the world with another person, and if you're the last one standing, you win a million dollars. And I said, with Salman Rushdie, if someone goes around the world and kills him, the Iranian government gives you $3 million. I said, this is the Iranian version of the amazing race. It's a tough, <laughs> uh, tough game. But now I might have to change that wording unless he gets out and he's, he's well again. But he was a nice guy. No security. It was at the Great Hall of Cooper Union. And he was just hanging out. And, you know, but it's always in the back of your head. If it's in the back of my head. It had to be in the back of his head. So give me your reaction to the fact that he was stabbed for this novel that he wrote well, 30 years ago. But the thing is, it's it's a long line of what's happening to artists. You know, Dave Chappelle, a guy jumps up. He didn't like a joke that he wrote. The, uh, you know, people being slapped at the Oscars because, mm. you know, I don't like a joke he told. Charlie Hebdo, cartoonist in Paris, are shot dead for doing cartoons. 
I mean, it's getting so ridiculous. No matter what part of the arts you're in, somebody doesn't like what you're doing. But that's the way it's always been. You don't like, you don't go to the show. That's it. So I, I think what happened to Salma Rushdie is now, unfortunately, a long line of artists that are being stabbed and shot. Yeah, I mean, do you think there's a radical Islam problem that we have with this you kind think? of thing? Yeah, well, I, I well, certainly do. Uh, Salma Rushdie that, uh, I mean. No, no, you're a uh, you're a film producer. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, you've never produced a film where you uh, depict the uh, the Prophet Muhammad as a character. But uh, it, what does this mean for, for you as an artist and as somebody that uh, creates motion pictures to see that uh, somebody even as well-regarded and as famous as Salman Rushdie can be stabbed because he runs afoul of the wrong people i was horrified by it i know him a bit um he used to hang out at my old bar a lot and i met this is actually right after he came back to america in 2000 wow i guess 2001 or two when he first moved back to new york and i was always very conscious when he was in the, he again had no security very nice guy and i was always i always had my security watching him i was just very concerned about it when he left i had my security kind of tail him to make would sure you ever okay. say to him you know how are you just walking around here with uh you know, 800 million Muslims chasing you, or are you, aren't you a little concerned? Why don't you have more security? I did mention to him once, uh, I, he, he was a very, you know, I, he was one of these guys who was just like, I want to live my life, and I don't want to live surrounded by security. Mm. The, the rumor with him was always that he was uh, quite a ladies' man. Any truth to that from what you observed? Yes, actually. I like him quite a bit. I, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. I don't know if you saw, I played the uh, clip the other day, but on Curb Your Enthusiasm, they did a whole bit where he's giving Larry David advice when Larry David has a fatwa on him about fatwa sex and how great <laughs> fatwa sex is. And uh, I, I think uh, I gave him a lot of credit for having such a good sense of humor about that. Uh, if you want to comment, by the way, Noel Ashman is here. John McDonough is here. Marlena Shivo is uh, en route. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. One issue which I'm curious to get both of your takes on as a outer borough guy and a, and a Manhattanite is uh, this issue of congestion pricing. Very controversial where I live. It's uh, people are pretty fired up about it. A lot of New Jersey folks pretty fired up about it. A lot of Connecticut folks fired up about it. And yet uh, Governor Kathy Hochul said uh, yesterday she's sticking with this, even though it's an election year and she needs every vote she can. Uh, she is sticking with this. Uh, John, you are Mr. Transportation. What's your take on this congestion I, pricing? I, I so hate it. I mean, this is so going to affect particularly Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx. If you want to take your family in to, to, to a Broadway show or to a restaurant, you, you now have to pay an extra $23. And never mind trying to find parking. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll park now in Williamsburg or something and, and go to something, you know, down in, in Williamsburg or Long Island City and, and not go into the city. It's going to affect Manhattan big time. And it's just another tax on the people, never mind coming in from Jersey and Long Island with the extra tolls that they're paying. But I, I just from a Queen's point of view, I'm not, you know, when I had my kids, we used to come in, particularly we come over to 59th Street Bridge instead of the Midtown Tunnel. We save there. And, and you're trying to constantly save and alternate side parking. You're trying to find, if you can find free parking right. and go out and take in the city. Now you can't do any of that. Yeah. Or now, but, but here's the other thing. Governor Hochul, who thinks the world started when she was born, and she said something to the effect uh, that we're the last generation to save the planet. How, how narcissistic is that? I, I, I mean, and congestion pricing in New York is going to save the world? Oh, come on. Uh, uh, no, you're, you're a Manhattan guy. You live here in Manhattan, right? <laughs> yes. So you, you uh, probably wouldn't be – do you keep a car? You here in Manhattan? I don't. 
I was actually given a car for free, and I actually gave it back. I, I, I think that's the smart move. I would do the same thing <laughs> if I were in Manhattan. But uh, there is some concern about people that live in Manhattan or shop in Manhattan or work in Manhattan that this is going to cause an uptick in uh, prices for everything here. You've been a club owner. You've had to, I'm sure, and a bar owner. You've had to uh, it, bring in goods from all over the place. And uh, I have to think the those trucks that are bringing in you know, bottles of booze or and things that you'd have a grocery store, they're going to have to pay a hefty congestion pricing fee. What do you think this does to prices for consumers in a place like Manhattan? I think it's absolutely disgusting. I really do. And I must say, you know, I always consider myself politically independent. I'm mm-hmm. kind of socially yeah, very liberal right. and uh, economically I'm very conservative. But, uh, you know, I think the Democrats have lost their minds on this. I mean, it, it feels like they're after your average person. Because let's face it, if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, this doesn't matter. Right. You can you $10 here, $20 here. But a working person... It's a lot of money when you're coming to have every time you come in below, I think it's 60th Street. Um, and I think it's disgusting. And, I, and I, really, I really hope people really respond to it and reject it because I think it is absolutely horrible what they're doing to people. Yeah, no. And it's, of course it's going to affect prices. I mean, yeah. Like, how could it not? I, I do wonder where, where, where this leaves the gubernatorial election. I mean, the conventional wisdom, and I still think it's right, is that uh, uh, Kathy Hochul is a heavy favorite. But I do wonder if this is going to be the kind of issue that motivates enough people to uh, turn towards uh, looking at uh, Lee Zeldin. I mean, what's your take, John? I, I, there's so many things now they're talking about. Roe v. Wade, uh, Trump being raided, uh, the inge- – I mean – if you can't pick any of those topics to go out and vote for whoever you're voting for, I mean, th- this will be the year. But now that it's, you know, you could say off season for, for elections, you know, I, I definitely would think twice because it's going to affect me personally coming into the city right, every same, day. Same. I mean, even today, I I came through the Midtown Tunnel. I have to pay for that. I, I come here to pay an extra $20 to do on the other side of midnight. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, that's what's so annoying, not to make the whole conversation about congestion pricing, because we do have listeners all over the country, is, is that, you know, there's not a problem with Midtown traffic congestion at 11.30 p.m. at night, and yet I'd still have to pay this congestion pricing fee. So it tells you it's not really about fighting congestion. And is it any better if the congestion but is in the Bronx? The congestion, bike lanes, bus lanes, concrete barriers, they've squeezed this in. You you know, you're talking about deliveries. I can't get up First Avenue and Second Avenue with the trucks having to double park to to deliver. They create the congestion. They go, oh, you know what? We need congestion pricing so we won't have congestion. You know, it's just they want to make the city unlivable and you cannot make a living as a driver in this city. Yeah. If people don't know, John is uh, among his many other claims to fame. He is a driver, a yellow taxi driver. We're going to talk about that uh, horrible shooting of a yellow cab driver well, in Queens. Well, Kelly, he wasn't shot. He was stomped to uh, death. Yeah, yeah. Well, that doesn't make you well, you're dead. make it any better <laughs> if you're dead. But uh, you have a, a great play, John, called uh, Off the Meter, a one man show. And I understand you have some more dates in uh, September, September 23rd, yeah, 24th, it, it, 25th? It, it, it's uh, at the Greek Cultural Center. And if you just type in Greek Cultural Center, Astoria, uh, I, I, it's a, a play about my 40 years of driving a yellow cab in New York City. I've been doing it all around the city, up in the Bronx, on Bale Buck, and I was at the Irish Repertory Theater for three months on 22nd Street. So on the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, the Greek Cultural Center in Astoria, I'm going to be doing it in September. You can buy tickets now. And it just talks about the madness 
of what the city was like in the 70s and 80s. And you know what? We're going back to that. It's going to be retro. You, you got to be nice to Noel. Maybe he'll make it into a major motion picture, right? All right. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, Noel Ashman, John McDonough, and Marlena Shivo. We'll take your calls as well. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Four Seasons. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just join our Facebook group, uh, Murano Radio Fans and Haters. And uh, that usually means that Marlena Shivo is in the building. She's a veteran media producer, satirist, and social critic. Uh, Marlena, good morning. Thank you for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. And you are doing double duty today. You are appearing with Sid Rosenberg on yes. the Bernie and Sid show today. Yes. Also. So when we spoke, you said, let's do the four since you're going to stay and do Sid and Bernie and Sid. So here I am. Here you are indeed. Um, In the three. Exactly. <laughs> well, happy to have you. Uh, stick around for the four as well. I mean, you're, everybody's welcome to uh, to stick around. It's uh, it's good to see you. John McDonough is also here. Noel Ashman is also here. Let me um, let me ask you about a controversy that is going on in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was talking a little while ago about the series finale this week of the uh, the program on AMC, Better Call Saul. That's obviously a prequel and partly a sequel to the TV show uh, Breaking Bad. And a big part of the show Breaking Bad has to do with the main characters, uh, Jesse Pinkman and Walter White, making drugs and selling drugs. But you know the business. And I know the chemistry. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe you and I could partner up. <laughs> you, uh, you want to cook crystal meth? You. You and uh, and me. <laughs> That's right. Well, much like Jackie Gleason's character of Ralph Cramden, who has a statue here in New York, the city of Albuquerque is actually unveiling these this new these new statues of Pinkman and Walter White. These characters from Breaking Bad is going to be unveiled at the Albuquerque Convention Center. And a lot of people are excited about this. They say this is going to bring a lot of tourism to the city. Other people are not so excited. They say, look, this is, these are fictional drug dealers, and this is going to contribute to ruining the image of the city of uh, Albuquerque. Uh, Marlena, what's your take uh, on this as a, either a consumer of, uh, of television or uh, somebody that, uh, you know, might visit Albuquerque one day? What's your take on this? I mean, I think it would be more of a tourist attraction. I, that show is very popular. I never watched it, but um, they, they are fictional drug dealers, but isn't it in the isn't the idea is that um, the the guy's doing it to support his family? 
Yeah, again, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, either way, I mean, it, like you could go through, um, you know, L.A. and 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 see all types of like stars on the Walk of Fame and be like, oh, he played a bad character, therefore I can't, you know. Uh, have this. Well, that's here. a little different, though, right? I mean, well, one no. is celebrating I mean, the craft of acting, and one is, you know, there's, there's, there are statues of fictitious characters like uh, Rocky in Philadelphia, right. you know, Ralph Cramden here, but I mean, yeah, they but... weren't doing anything that bad, right? I mean, I, mean... I guess Ralph Cramden's promoting domestic violence with the r- right to the moon. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it, 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 it's, it's fictional. It's not like um... no big deal. You wouldn't care even if you were in Albuquerque. Correct. All right. Uh, John, what do you think? I think if you lived in Albuquerque, you would do crystal meth, whether those statues are up or not. And I don't know. I think it would inspire anyone to do it. But one of the most famous statues in the country is of Elizabeth Montgomery up in Salem, Massachusetts for Bewitched. What am I going to go up there and burn the statue saying that she's promoting witchcraft? I mean, this, this is so ridiculous. I think anything that could bring tourists to any area particularly an area like, like New Mexico, I, I, just do it. Uh, Noel Ashman, what do you think? I agree totally. I, th- I think you have to differentiate between art and reality. And I think that anything that celebrates art, um, is, you have to take it as art. You can't, mm. you can't take it seriously. It's art, and I think you have to respect it. Well, all right, this is going to be awfully boring if you guys agree on everything. Let's try and stir some <laughs> controversy here. Let me ask you about this. Uh, there is a petition on the website change.org where they're trying to remove the T from LB, LGBT, and uh, that is now trending on Twitter, and this has happened before. Evidently, um, there's a group of gay bis- and bisexual men and women who have come to the conclusion that the transgender community needs to be disassociated from the larger LGB community. In essence, they're asking organizations like the Human Rights Campaign, GLAAD, Lambda Legal, media outlets that focus on gay media to stop representing the transgender community as if they have the same agenda as the as the gay community. Uh, where do you come down on this? I, I don't know, you know, anything about your sexuality, no, and I'm not asking. But what, what, what do you what do you think about the these folks in the gay community? Not wanting to be associated necessarily with the transgender community. Well, I'm straight, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, yeah, um, I I don't understand a lot of this controversy with the whole transgender. I mean, I, I think people are people and everyone should be respected for what they are and what they want to be as long as not hurting someone else. Um, I don't understand all the aggressiveness about the transgender I, I really don't. I, I respect people who are transgender. People can be whatever they want to be. I just don't understand why we're kind of attacking all these other groups because of it. It doesn't make sense. Marlene, mm, what, well, do where you do kids? you come down? No. I don't. Okay. All right. So the big thing now with the transgender community is because they're trying to um, sort of push this agenda of teaching about gender identity in schools at a very young age. And it's confusing a lot of kids. There's been an uptick in uh, kids who uh, are are confused and changing their identity or, or questioning their identity. Instead of just being gay or straight, they're they're saying, well, maybe I'm a they or maybe I'm a something else. <laughs> and then, you know, and then then the whole controversy of hormones being involved and when the parents should take it seriously. And is it more like 
it's like the chicken or the egg, right? Like what's coming first? Is it really them questioning or is it the information that they're getting that they really just cannot mentally metabolize properly? So because they have been pushing this so much in the schools, the gay community um, is just there's a lot of people within the gay community who are railing against the fact that they're pushing this because they're being associated with gay and uh, lesbian community. And it's kind of sort of in some circumstances, giving them a bad rap. So they want like a dis- giving the gays a bad rap. Correct. The gay lesbian community, because they're just lumping them all together. And that's why the transgender community is, is um, sort of being attacked. I'm not saying they should be attacked, but I can see where there's some um, friction between the two. If you think about it though, it, it does make sense that the transgender community would have a different uh, issue agenda than the gay community. So if you're the gay community, maybe you're fighting for things like uh, marriage equality and gay adoption and things like that. Uh, And if you're a transgender, maybe you're more concerned with uh, allowing transgender students to uh, perform in sports or transgender athletes to be in the Olympics. And well, it's almost almost it's more about awareness too at a younger age, because some people, um, you know, never really understood where they fit in. And when they when they were, in fact, um, feeling like they were the other, and so um, it's sort of giving them a voice and a face. And but, but on the flip side of this, um, it, there has been—I mean, at, at the, you, if you read more about it, you'll see that there—it's only really like two percent of the population is truly transgender. And 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 ever since um, they've been pushing this agenda, you you see now there's an uptick. In the past, like year or two, like now it's like twenty percent of kids are questioning their gender identity or calling themselves non-binary, and then it's the whole you don't have to pick your kid's gender after you, you know, after they're born, and and now experts in the in the you mm. know science community are saying, um, after much research and evidence, you know, there are more than two genders, you know, like it's like well, you know, so it's, no, I I mean I don't understand why kids are I mean kids shouldn't be having anything sexual until a much older age in my opinion right whether it be transgender or gay straight doesn't matter i think kids let's let kids be kids let's let them just enjoy learning how to speak and how to and, play and according to frank let them have sleepovers exactly <laughs> so we'll come back to that it yeah, sounds know, like you take I some know. issue with that uh john mcdonough where do you come down on this lgb drop the t I, I i think it really does depend if you have kids or not i i, I raised three girls in queens and they played soccer and everything and cisgender I, I, girls they were always girls <laughs> Last time I got a phone call from them, which is not often, but, uh, you know, but but it's getting so bizarre that a comedian like Dave Chappelle cannot even make a joke where he's threatened with a guy with a knife jumping onto the stage. I, I mean, it, it it is just getting ridiculous. You can't have a debate about it, that you're going to be canceled. You got J.K. Rawlings. They, they don't want to know her out in Hollywood with, the, the you know, her books. And Dave Chappelle can't tell a joke or somebody will knife him. I, I mean, you know, you got to be allowed. If if you're that proud of what you are and who you are, you should be able to take jokes. You should be able to discuss what's going on and not shut it down and say, "That's it. We can't hear anymore. That we're going to block him from that uh, that one theater, and he has to move to another theater." It's just it's ridiculous what's going on. You know, the funny thing about that Dave Chappelle thing, and it's an old story, so I'm not going to belabor it, but is that he was actually completely supportive of the transgender person. He was. 
leading to. You have to see the entire, you know, uh, show that he did. Oh, context are, that has no place. Uh, I mean, it's just a, well, that's yeah, exactly. So, but it's just funny. Uh, uh, let me uh, ask all. I think all three of you have had COVID. You had it even. I know Marlena yeah, I had and it in all December. Had it. Yeah. So um, now it, it seems like uh, COVID is not the boogeyman that it once was, but it is still driving public policy to some extent in Philadelphia. Students and staff in schools there have to wear face masks when classes resume later this month. Apparently, it's only for two weeks, but the school district of Philadelphia rolled out their updated COVID protocols on Friday, which stress personal responsibility over previously strict policies around quarantining and mask wearing. And these updated protocols uh, come on the heels of the CDC loosening its recommendations amidst uh, less risk of severe illness. But uh, this face mask requirement is going to be for students and staff on August 29th, which is the first day of school, through September 9th. After that, face coverings are optional but encouraged, and they're saying that this short-term mask requirement is due to increased end-of-summer social gatherings, which heighten the risk of exposure to the virus. Now, I have some serious questions about the science behind only two weeks of mandatory masking followed by a lot of optional masking. Uh, Marlena, you were (sighs) the number one anti-mask person in the tri-state area. What's your take on what Philly is doing? Oh, please. I... I mean, I, I've never liked Philadelphia. I mean, you, you can't give me enough reasons not to like Philadelphia, and this is just another one. But um, That's I what Keith Hernandez that... said. He hates going to Philly for those games. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. So anyway, so I um, I think that masks are useless regardless. And and why, why are we so now germ conscious? now, And especially now that um, people are realizing – um, that COVID is just another uh, type of virus with a different name. I mean, I don't understand. Why, why do we need to protect people from getting this at this point? So I actually had a friend who was telling me she had a client come in um, who was wearing a mask and she felt the need to explain why she was wearing that. Oh, I've been traveling a lot and, I, you know, I don't want to get sick at all. So, you know, I'm just it's not even about COVID. It's just about not getting sick. And it's like, well. So, like, what is the point of that? So you want to suppress your immune system so that when you do get sick, you're going to feel even worse and you're not going to be able to fight off whatever you're getting. Anyway, bottom line, it's ludicrous. Uh, Noel, as a a COVID survivor yourself, as somebody that was pretty active in participating in normal life pretty early on, I remember you coming in here in 2020 when people were afraid to go into radio stations. You came right in, you shook my hand, no no questions asked or anything like that. What about what Philly is doing? You think this is uh, going a little too far, having kids mask and staff mask for two weeks and then it's optional? I think it's child abuse, frankly. I really do. I, I think, you know, at that age, kids are just learning how to communicate with each other and them seeing each other and seeing each other smile and their teacher and seeing their teacher and what understanding what they're saying. That's part of uh, growing up. It's part of their development. And I think putting a mask on a kid is crazy, especially because everything I, that I've read has been very clear that kids are the least at risk. Um, and if they get it, it's – I think more kids were killed by the flu than by COVID last. Absolutely. But also not just about um, communicating and everything else. It's also um, about teaching your kid to live in fear <laughs> and to, oh, to, yeah. to say that, oh, well, you know, you should be in fear of germs. And, and, and they're trying. I feel like this indoctrination. Indoctr- I always do this, you know, indoctrination. Yeah, it's a tricky it, it, one. There you go. 
um, of kids um, learning that this is the, the, the way life is going to be is in and of itself ridiculous and not the path we should be going down. Uh, John, where do you come down on this? I think the people are making the decision. They're not listening to the government anymore. I was on the subway yesterday. It's about 50% now, where it was 100% just a couple of months ago. It, it, wearing a mask is becoming like jaywalking. It's against the law. Like, you have to wear it, but we're doing it anyway. Well, but in Philly, for at least two weeks, they're going to make yeah, children it, it, wear it. It's this. ridiculous. So yeah. the second two weeks, you're not going to get the, the disease. And I think the Republicans are going to make an issue out of it. I like the angle they're taking now. If they get elected, they want to bring back the firemen, the cops, and the people in the Army and the Marines who were put out because they wouldn't get the vaccination or wear the mask. And I think that's going to be an issue. And those people probably should be brought back because if you have the vac- I got, I'm vaxxed up. So w- whatever. But we're still getting the disease. So it's not a vaccination. It's a shot. Well, that's what they – I mean, that's uh, – whatever. It, this is exactly like the flu. It, I, I don't get the flu shot. I didn't get the vaccine. It's like people should be able to, to assess their own you know, health in the way they need to. That's one. But the other thing is this. If the CDC, who has changed their mind several times, is now saying that vaccinated people and unvaccinated people have zero difference in terms of uh, contracting and – um, you know, passing it on to other people, then what? what is the point of masks? Or what is the point of continuing all of these, like, like measures that some of these places are still keeping in place? Well, the way they make it sound in Philly is these kids were uh, going around like crazy, socializing with people during the summer, and that's so why this is in place. Because this is real life, and this is what we do. Um, you know, uh, you know this, Frank, but maybe the people in the room don't know this, but, like, we quit the whole... All of that very early on, like earlier than anybody else. And everybody is fine. Meaning like two months into COVID, not even. I was like, I'm done with this. And my kids played with their friends indoors, outdoors. We had parties and it was fine. People got COVID. People got over COVID. And the the one the thing I am glad on. about, I mean, I think what Philly's doing is ridiculous. But the one thing I am glad about that we seem to have gotten past is mask shaming. There used to be a tremendous amount of, of ridicule and uh, insulting for people that didn't want to wear a mask. I remember uh, two years ago, I'd be walking down the street outside, outside talking to someone without a mask. And perfect strangers would think nothing when I wasn't talking to them of essentially running up to me and lecturing me about how many people had died of COVID and why I should uh, put a mask on. I remember my I was getting a, a haircut one time. And my barber didn't care that I didn't have a mask. Somebody that's 60, 70 feet away in the barber shop proceeds to start yelling at me about how I think I'm special and don't have to wear a mask. Now, I am happy that we do seem to have be, be past that point in our history, at least for now, right? I mean, we'll see what monkeypox does. Yeah, right. So we'll see. All right, hey, let me ask you about this. Speaking of education, um, fascinating story out of Minnesota. Minneapolis public school teachers of color will have additional job protections this upcoming school year under a new contract that would allow them to keep their jobs rather than white instructors with more seniority. This labor agreement in Minneapolis was to protect, quote, underrepresented populations and keep the district's predominantly white staff from becoming more homogeneous. Uh, uh, Malachi, John McDonough, let me begin with you. Uh, These days, I think you're probably... Apparently, you look like you're on your deathbed. Um, but you're probably the most leftward in the in the studio here. What's your take? Should white people well, be laid off first? I, I, 
this is why unions are declining. Unions are supposed to represent the, the teachers, not as an identity or, or, or skin color. As a class, they should be representing them, and they shouldn't be dividing them up. I, I don't know why I would pay union dues to have my union tell me if, uh, you know, there's going to be layoffs, that I'll have to be laid off because I'm white and that somebody else is not going to be laid off. To me, it's, it is ridiculous. I, I don't know why people w- would join unions. So I, I could just see people now forming a white union in Minneapolis because they are going to represent my interest. The union should represent the interest of everyone. And if you're there for 20 or 30 years, you have the experience. Someone that just got on, they say, well, you know what? We're going to keep her on and get rid of the most experienced teacher. I, I, the road we're going down is unbelievable. Uh, I don't even think it's the most experienced, right? So it's like if there are – if there's if there's someone of less seniority um, that is a person of color and then someone who is less seniority that is white, um, they will go with laying off – like say they're at the same level, I think, and they're going to do layoffs. They'll start with the white employee, employee um, rather than the person of color, which is kind of like the same thing as what affirmative action used to be, right? Where it was like they would right. try Instead to consider of getting a job based on race. You're the, getting the um, white people fired. First. You get to keep your job based on yeah. So I mean, it's it's kind of the same concept. But I agree with. I'm sorry for agreeing again, but I agree with John. Um, you know, I mean, unions. I mean, they're. <laughs> They're already, um, you know, useless in a lot of ways or really like a pain in a lot of ways. I guess it depends on the union, right? I mean, uh, no, what's your take? Should the white people lose their job first? Look, to me, it's if you ever want to know if something's right, just reverse the colors. Mm -hmm. It's racism. That's what it is. And I think that we want the best people to teach our kids. We have the best people for the job. That's what America is about. It's so interesting to me that the Minneapolis uh, School Teachers Union actually sought to get this specific protection. I mean, uh, it, makes, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 800-848-9222. Marlena Shibo wow. is here. Uh, John McDonough is here. Noel Ashman is here. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I think that the point was, um, if I was reading it correctly, that um, the they were trying to even out um, the, the teachers. Like, I feel like there were more t- white teachers than there were uh, teachers of color, and but the student body was more um, uh, kids... Uh, yeah, no, it's almost like the NFL situation. They don't want a, a black student body or a, or a multiracial student body to be taught by a bunch of white people. I, I get that, but right. it just uh, it seems it's like, just where the chips fell, and now they're trying to l- level the playing field or, or whatever. Seems that way to me. All right. Um, uh, Russell in White Plains, a longtime fan of John McDonough, <laughs> calling in. Hello, Russell. Hi, Frank. I'm glad to hear John's taking a Republican turn. But I'd like to ask... <laughs> As Marlena, does she think the vaccines and boosters are actually a form of psych meds to reduce the fear and anxiety that was stirred up and to get people to resume working after the lockdown? Um, do I think it was a, for- a form of psych meds? Yeah, you know, like uh, a, a tranquilizer, because the vaccines obviously don't work, but it got people calmed down enough so that they'd start going back to work. Uh, and getting like a placebo their almost. Up, yeah, up. I mean... I, I, I that is uh, no. I don't know if it was a placebo. I think there's um, actual real chemicals <laughs> in that they're injecting into people's bodies. Let me ask you something else. Do you think quarantine is going to be resurrected, and uh, that this hysteria, this wandering womb thing, is a, a function of women? You know, being so afraid all the time. Women, the, the wandering, wandering womb, or hysteria womb? is like a wandering womb where you know 
it was an old thing that women's wombs were wandering in their body and that caused them to be crazy. I mean, I, when I was in school, when my son was in school and I was on the BTA, it was the women that drove this anxiety. It was like after 9-11. All but right. they were so worried about everything. But thanks a lot for taking Thank you. Me. That must have been some PTA meeting oh, with you there, God, Russell. Can you, can you imagine? imagine? Oh, uh, 800-848-9222. <laughs> David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Yes, thank you for digging up a caller from the Middle Ages uh, regarding your last caller's commentary. <laughs> I take them as you they know. come, David. I take them as they come. You should hear what the, what the folks say about you after you call. I can only imagine. Listen, um, I was going to talk about COVID, but I have to switch to what you were just talking about with this school district in the Midwest. What this really comes down to is, and this has been going on for a long time, it's called first high, last hired, first fired. And in a school district where the teacher, uh, you know, representation is very limited by minorities, you can't dismiss people the old way because you'll end up with an all-white teaching body, which is probably not necessarily a good thing. I know that certain people in your panel are not going to agree with this, but as someone who, as a minority person, went to an all-white Catholic school with all-white teachers and was called every racist name in the book and the teachers didn't care – some of them were racist themselves. I can understand why black uh, parents who have students in schools like this may want to take measures to make sure that there's at least a couple of minorities. So, uh, no, what, what about what Dave is saying? He's saying, look, you know, it'd be nice if black students had some black teachers and black administrators. And if they're going to start laying off people just based on seniority, <laughs> the de facto result of that is an all white faculty. What, what do you say to someone like that? Well, he has an interesting point. I mean, I, I, respect, I respect his his point of it that, you, of course, you want to have um, your children exposed to all different types of people. It's, so I, I agree with that. I think the way to do that, though, is to find ways to encourage more minorities to teach as opposed to getting rid of people based on race. I think there are more um, – there are other ways to do that without being discriminatory. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody takes issue with diversifying the staff. It's I think it's more about um, the 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 union um, taking charge of this and and doing it in the way that they're trying to do it. It it, it seems a little um, skewed. Mm. Uh, John, anything you want to add? Well, there? the only thing is, I'm a product of the public school system, and uh, when I was raising my three girls, I made damn sure they didn't go to public school, and they all went to Catholic schools. And we didn't complain about Irish nuns that didn't have enough Italian nuns teaching them. We just had them <laughs> teaching them because that could have been controversial at the time. Uh, but uh, it's just people are voting with their feet and money. If you have money, you're not going to public schools. Uh, uh, it seems uh, – so, well, Where's Carmine going to go? Well, we have a pretty good public school district uh, uh, in our in uh, southern Staten Island. So we'll see We'll see where we where he is in five or six years. 800-848-9222. John McDonough is here. Noel Ashman is here. Marlena Shivo is here. We'll continue with your calls as well. Well, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Uh, this song is called Shivers by Ed Sheeran. I'll tell you a true story about this song. Uh, my sister Claudia is in the midst of marathon training. So she ran from her house on uh, Saturday, seven miles, to where my wife and I lived. And she's complaining how she was bored the um, you know the whole the, the whole way. And I said, "Well, you should have been listening to the podcast of Friday's edition of The Other Side of Midnight." And she told me that uh, instead she was listening to this song on repeat over and over again. So I see it later in the day, and I ask, "Well, okay, did you listen to the podcast for the back seven? She says, "No, I kept listening to this Ed Sheeran song over and over again." So I'm trying to listen to it and get the appeal. I think it's okay. But, uh, I mean, I'd take a, a nice spoken word podcast any day of the week. Uh, Marlena Shivo is here. John McDonough is here. Noel Ashman is here. Uh, really quick, I want to get your take on uh, probably the story of the week, this uh, FBI raid at, uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Irrespective of what, uh, what folks may think of uh, Donald Trump, this is an unprecedented raid in terms of the the target of the raid in this case being a former president and a future presidential candidate and what kind of case this is involved here uh john you're not exactly a, a trump fan what, what's your take on defund this the fbi yeah hey you're the on the no, same page the no battling marjorie fry. taylor no, green right? the, the fbi is a political organization Back in the 50s and 60s, it went against all left-wing groups, from the Black Panthers to the Young Lords. And I was involved with the Irish Republican movement, and I had the FBI set me up twice with an informant trying to buy guns and give money to the IRA. So I am no big fan. When they target a specific organization, which are now right-wing groups that they're targeting, they set you up. If you look what's going on with the Muslims and how they've set up. Uh, what happened in Michigan and what happened up in Yonkers. I mean, they are a political organization. I'm just glad now the right wing has finally gotten on board about the FBI because they used to praise the FBI. Oh, they're the greatest organization. They're investigative when they're going after the left wing. Now they're going after them and, and, and Donald Trump because I always hate when Donald Trump goes, if they come after me, they'll come after you. No, they have been coming after us all along. They're finally going now after you. That's what's been reversed. Uh, no, it is interesting how the these traditional views of the two parties have, to some extent, switched over the last 15 years or so, whether it's on foreign policy issues, trade issues, issues like warrantless wiretapping, and, yeah, uh, the the support for different law enforcement organizations. W- what's your take on what John said, and uh, how did you feel about that raid at Mar-a-Lago? Uh, I think it's... If you're going to raid a former president, you better have the goods, and it doesn't seem like they do. Um, so if it's a fishing expedition, I think it's horrific. I mean, and I think that if they could do that to a former president, they really can do it to anybody. And I believe that, yeah, although I think John's right, it, it has become and it has been over the years uh, somewhat political. FBI should never be political. Law enforcement should be by the book, black and white. It should not be political thing. Uh, Marlena, I know uh, you're not a Trump fan, and uh, you were almost, the, the only time you were tongue-tied in your interview last week with Sid Rosenberg was when he asked you if there was a Biden-Trump rematch, who you'd vote for in the presidential election. But that being said, what did you think of uh, this, uh, the, the raid at Mar-a-Lago and sort of the uh, ripple effect of the media firestorm that's found, that's uh, followed? I, I want to know um, more, I would, I'm more interested in them, uh, Rating whatever Ghislaine Maxwell has because that woman has a list of people that we are not privy to. Yet, um, you know, 
she's just sitting pretty now in a in a prison in in Florida. So um, as far as Trump goes, um, I wasn't tongue tied, by the way, with Sid. I definitely wasn't tongue tied. Well, it's okay. just that it's it a just challenging that, question. But, that... but you know what? Because I've been asked it so many times. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, listen, I don't like Donald Trump. I can't stand Joe Biden. And honestly, if that were the ticket, I said that I, I'd have to go down ballot and, and, and forego the, the checking off who I want for president because I went down this road you know, two years ago, and um, I felt guilty, and I just checked Joe Biden, and I didn't want him for president either. So it's like, if I don't want either person, it's like, if I don't want, um, you know, eggs or eggs, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm not eating, you know, so like, it's like, I, I just, I don't want to be bothered with with that question, because I'm just hoping that Trump is not on the ticket, because I'm definitely going to the other side for this next election. You mean you're voting Republican and you don't generally vote Republican in the presidential election? Correct. Yes. Be- because of the vaccine issue and vaccine and the issue. Vaccine oh my god, not the pandemic that basic. Wow, issue. wow. Well, no. I mean, explain no. to folks why. I mean, I just think that um, Joe Biden. I-, I think everything has been a disaster ever since he's been in office, and um, I just think that the that the Dems are extremists now. All they care about is climate change and um the economy is in the the i can't say what i was about to say but you know the economy is tanking and i just feel like um under the republican rule even in new jersey the economy is just better john what do you think how do you handicap uh, a biden versus trump race and what do you think the likelihood is that, that that's what we're in store for well i can only hope the law of physics and health come to Donald Trump because I, I, he's a con artist from Queens. You can spot him a mile away. Uh, I mean, he's been bankrupt more times that he eats hamburgers. He drinks diet Pepsi. He drives around on a golf cart. The, the law of physics has to affect him. He's got to have a heart attack at some stage, a stroke like the guy in Pennsylvania, even though that won't prevent Donald Trump from running. Cause if he has a stroke, he goes, look at the guy in Pennsylvania. I can still run. But, well, but no smoking, gonna have to have it. no smoking and no drinking, though. That's yeah, but the, still, come on, eating hamburgers every day and drinking uh, diet Pepsi. He won't even drink regular Pepsi. I, I drinking... you sort of punted on my question of handicapping oh, I'm a going Biden down versus the Trump. I, I look at the Green Party. Malachi McCourt ran as a Green Party. I'll go down to – I used to vote for Gus Hall in the Communist Party. I hear uh, Curtis <laughs> Lee talk about him. No, not, there's plenty of other choices down there. You don't have to go hey, for, uh, for Republican What, what do you think, No, What do you think we're, we're in store for a Biden versus Trump uh, rematch? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I have very, I mean, look, I, I think Biden's, my opinion, possibly the worst president we've ever had in the history of this country. I mean, it's close, I guess, with Carter and maybe Hoover. Where's in James Buchanan and I mean, Warren G. Harding, it, all those guys. It's, in modern day, I mean, I wasn't alive then, sure. but in modern day, it's hard to believe that someone could make any more bad decisions than he has done. Um, so I, I, I have to say, no matter what happens, he'd be my last choice. But, you know, I'm very... I've always been very conflicted on Trump. I know him a bit, by the way. He, we have a lot of mutual friends. I'm so sure. Back in the day, you know, back in the 90s, we hung out a little bit. Um, you know, I I like some of his policies. I think he did some things. That were, I liked the way he made uh, you know, America stronger. I like a lot of his foreign policy. But he has a, he just has a way of a, a magnanimity, a magnanimity that I think the president needs and a certain kind of graciousness, which he does not have. And, and I, and it, I get angry at a lot of things he does. So 
Again, I'm, he's one of those guys I'm very conflicted. I'd like to see someone else. Right, you guys want to stick around one more hour? What do we think? You're welcome to stick around. You're welcome to go home. I wouldn't blame anybody uh, either way. I know Marlene is sticking around. What do you think, yeah. John? Hang on. No? All right. Okay. We're doing one one more hour. we got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, we'll talk scrambled eggs, sarsheen little feather, and, a whole, and yellow cabbies being killed. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. Uh, this has been uh, quite a show already. We've covered a, gr- a lot of ground. Uh, I mentioned uh, I mentioned uh, I spent a good portion of um, the uh, time before the show catching up with uh, with Paul Manafort, who was in uh, New York to do uh, Hannity. And I was on the fence about uh, whether or not to uh, post this photo of the two of us on social media, but I have indeed posted it by popular demand. If you want to see that picture, uh, you can go to uh, my Instagram, at MoranoVision. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. You can see that. And uh, I would encourage folks, even if they're not uh, conservative or Trump supporters or if you don't like Paul Manafort, uh, to read his book, which is out today or yesterday, I guess technically, with an open mind. Because as far as I'm concerned, he really uh, was horribly mistreated by the justice system. And uh, he's been through a lot. And I'm uh, glad he's out of prison and I'm glad he's free. And it was certainly good to see him. But uh, the book is out. It's called Political Prisoner. We may have Paul on um, maybe maybe Friday, maybe next week. So we'll see where that goes. Meantime, uh, speaking of crime, there's been a lot of attention paid of late to escalating street crime. And uh, this situation that uh, has gotten a lot of attention in Queens has a lot of people shaking their head. A New York City taxi driver was killed while on the job on Saturday, and police are saying that this may have been a uh, botched robbery. Uh, Fernando Mateo, who's a former candidate for mayor of New York City, also somebody that uh, represents, I believe it's the livery cab drivers. I'll be corrected on that in a second if I'm incorrect on that. He was uh, talking about the uh, this horrible, horrible incident uh, in Queens. I am pissed off. I'm angry. And I'm angry because this could have all been avoided. We need to look around us and say, what city are we live, living in? Uh, let me, was fortunate enough to be joined for this hour as well by uh, John McDonough, who is a comic, a playwright, and a uh, cab driver by Marlena Shivo, a veteran media producer, satirist, and social critic, and um, Noel Ashman, who's a film producer, entrepreneur, and uh, legendary nightlife impresario. John, let me begin with you, because this is uh, your ballywick. What do we know about the circumstances that led to this driver's well, death? Well, first of all, he was a yellow cab driver, and... He's from Ghana. He has four kids up in the up in the Bronx, living up there. It's hard to explain to people the pressure this guy was on. He worked during the pandemic, hardly making any money, and here it is. He picks up four or five kids going out to Far Rockaway, and what it seems to be is they jumped out uh, and beat him for the fare. But he went out and and ran after him to get the fare. 
which is always very dangerous getting out of the cab. Like, even if those kids went away, he wouldn't have went to the precinct to report it, say, as a robbery, because the, the paperwork and everything else, you take it as a business loss. But the pressure that he had to pay, say, for the – if he owned the medallion, he needs that money. That 20 or $30 is very valuable to him. Or if he's leasing from a garage, he has to pay. Like, if you go back to the garage – uh, the garage say, well, you owe 120 uh, for the lease fee for the 12 hours and you owe the gas, you owe $150. He goes, no, I was, I was robbed out in Rockaway. I, I don't care. You took it out for 12 hours, you got beat. Now, the only thing I have a problem with Fernando Mateo, I think he has a police scanner uh, waiting for some bodega owner to get killed or a cab driver or a gypsy <laughs> cab driver because he shows up. I told Beta V to sign from the Taxi Workers Alliance like an organ donor card that I want one when I'm driving a yellow cab that if I'm shot dead, I do don't not want Fernando Mateo to hold a press conference you know, for it, me. It's funny. I used to call Fernando Mateo the Hispanic Al Sharpton, well, but I had to stop in, in because it's way. so disrespectful to Al Sharpton. He, he's so much. Such he's a chaser of tragedy. Oh, oh my God! Um, That's but, I say he's got the police count. He's got the only thing I could say this time. He's put up the money. Now where that money's coming from? Yeah, like he's very good. Ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars. I'm putting it up. Well, is it what organization? Is it the Yellow Cabbies that put it together? I, I'm always leery when Fernando Mateo shows up anywhere. Yeah, no, it's uh, cash in a brown paper bag to uh, whoever well, that gets that reward. Uh, no, Ashman, you uh, have been a business owner in New York through some uh, very tough days and you've seen kind of the worst aspects of New York and seen a rebounding, particularly after September 11th, including a, a club that you had, uh, Veruca, which was in the shadow of the World Trade Center and to see uh, things come back in uh, such a vibrant way downtown, see this indomitable spirit of New York uh, thrive and now to see things kind of go at least what a lot of people perceive in the other direction uh, in back in some to some extent in the bad old days. Do you think this uh, this killing of this cab driver in Queens is emblematic of where we're heading as a city, or is this just another isolated incident? And maybe those of us in the media are making too much of it. I do. I, I read the story, and it really just hurt my heart. I mean, he was a hardworking immigrant who's busting his butt for his family and his kids, and to have something like this happen is horrible. It's it's just you know th- that's the kind of person we want in America. You know, someone who's a hardworking person like that. Um, but, yeah, I do think this is emblematic of what's happening in our city now. I, I think it's a tragedy because it's just completely political that this is happening. I mean, the, you know, if you look back even five years, I mean, there was – crime was so under control. Everything was great. And you just have a mayor who, and who just destroyed our city, literally – I think it's horrible, and I think it's something that we all as voters need to step up and vote. Marlena, you used to live here in New York City. You moved to New Jersey, a beach community in New Jersey. You've talked about kind of the differences in observing the city that you lived in versus the city that you now visit. Right. Do you think this is I, – I mean, what's your take on this situation in Queens? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just um, – appalled at, at, at so much of the crime that goes on in New York now. I mean, I never in my life was scared to walk around New York. Um, and that is not the case anymore when it's uh, after dark, at least. Um, but even during the day, there's tons of crime. And I think it's it's crazy. And I, I'm amazed. I mean, obviously, you can go out in New York and um, be OK. But I see a lot of people posting a uh, hashtag New York is back. And I don't think New York is back. I think that like 
I think it's um, it, it, there's so many things that are closed that I don't even realize have closed. Um, you were just talking about like you know the the nine eleven tra- tribute the, 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 museum, yeah, the nine right. eleven. I mean, it's it's insane. It's insane. There, it's 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 not back. I think people want to think that it is, but it's filthy. I think there are um, there are too many um, uh, sort of um, vagrants kind of like walking around the streets. Uh, I mean, I've I you know I, I come in here late night a lot um, to do to do this show mm-hmm. or do you know the other morning show, and I'm <laughs> I hate right, sitting at the red lights. Now, yeah, I hate sitting at the red lights because people approach my car. You know, and it's 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 crazy. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, I think it's a disgrace. I think I think this the city has a long way to go to be back. Yeah. Well, it's back to the seventies and eighties. Mm. Yeah, hey, well, so, there you go. Hey, speaking of transportation, uh, Marlene, let me ask you about this because uh, I guess this is w- what you do in beach communities like yours. Is it, the primary mode of transportation is is golf cart oriented, right? Uh, but now this <laughs> you recent... make me sound like a senior citizen in Florida. Well, you know, if the shoe fits, right? Um, now this recent legislation <laughs> that Congress uh, passed, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh-huh. one of the things that's in there is there's a huge tax break for electric vehicles. And people are actually saying that if you're interested in getting an electric vehicle, you have to do it now because you're not going to be able to get them anywhere uh, in, a, in a month or two because this is going to drive such an incre- incredible increase in demand for electric vehicles. They're doing everything they can for people. And then this is more of like the in the vein of obviously like a Tesla, you know, it, it, it's, it has nothing really to do with my, my, my golf cart. Which is electric, right? <laughs> Which is electric. Okay. And I did not pay tax on it because it's green. <laughs> I mean, when I purchased it. Um, you know, which is great. I, I don't know if there's only going to be any tax benefit this year, but even um, I was sifting through that article, and it looks like even the people who um, have electric vehicles or or are buying electric vehicles may not even benefit from this. It's almost like you have to read between the lines because the the, the something about the um, it has to be made a certain way with a certain type of battery and whatever, and that will give you the tax benefit. But it's not just any electric vehicle. So you won't get it for your your golf cart. I don't think so. Uh, I think no, I don't think uh, so. John, where do you come on this uh, electric I, electric vehicle revolution? Well, I heard on one talk show. I forget the talk show. He says uh, I can't afford to be a Democrat. Uh, I live in Queens in a house. I don't have a garage. I park out on the street. Uh, I I don't know how I would even qualify or have the money to buy an electric car now with the price of, of it. It is where, where do I plug it in? How what's the distance I go? I you know they haven't worked it out. But if you have money and you have a garage and you have a charging center, this is probably a, a, a great deal for you. But for the majority of us living here in New York City, this this is ridiculous. I don't know. You know they're going to be forcing us eventually to get an electric car. But where am I going to charge it? Like, I, I, I don't know. They haven't come up and said, oh, here's our plan. Here's where you'll be able to go. Do, do I got to go to a Home Depot or, or uh, a rest stop in New Jersey to, to go charge up before I go home? And, I mean, uh, and No, I know you're not a driver, but uh, a lot of one of the things that John Katzmatidis, our owner, has pointed out on his show is that a lot of the parts necessary for these electric vehicles are made in 
places like China, and that by incentivizing consumers to buy these electric vehicles, it actually puts us more into bed with China, which might be the opposite of the direction that we want to be going. Any any opinion on this uh, electric vehicle tax break? I agree wholeheartedly. I, I, I'm very concerned that we're literally going right into China, <laughs> falling right into China's trap. Um, I'm look. I'm very pro environment, and we only have one world. Let's do everything we can to keep it as great as we can. But yeah, I, I think we have to a start making the parts before we do this. I feel like we're jumping the gun a lot. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see electrons are a great thing. If we do anything to help the environment, let's do it. But let's make them in America first <laughs> before we start doing that. And I think the incentives. I mean, to buy electric cars, what is it? I think the cheapest ones are like fifty grand or something. That's basically a tax break for rich people right. who can afford that. Right. Your average person can't afford that. Yeah, no. Oh, so that, it, you, you almost have poor people who are paying for rich for the tax break for the rich person to buy a car. No, which no is there's, kind of crazy. there's a loophole. It, there's a loophole in in that too. Like there, it has to be within a certain range of what you paid for this vehicle. So if you paid above a certain amount, you're not going to get the tax break either. It makes mm-hmm. no sense, you know. Um, but um, also, like. This idea um, of they want people driving electric cars, they actually don't want people owning cars, according to the World Economic Forum. Did you see this about um, Klaus Schwab um, of the the World Economic Forum? Fill us in. I think I uh, I, I missed this, I think. It's this idea that they – don't want people owning cars anymore. They don't want personal ownership of any vehicles, not even the electric vehicles. They want everything to just be borrowed and 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 not be so so I just feel like this is heading it's just everything keeps not even inching but like racing towards this idea of um you know just like leveling everybody to be the same, you know. Um I don't know. I I think that people should be able to um Drive whatever they want to drive, and if they want to own a car, great. If they want to own, if they want to fill it with gas, let them fill it with gas. They're the ones paying for it, right? Well, especially if you have an SUV. Given what gas prices are of late, you're paying a pretty penny. Now you yes, have an XP, uh, SUV. Do. You have a Ford Expedition. Oh yeah. Right? <laughs> I have, I have so Ford now there's a, a Ford Expedition recall. Yes. Have you been victim to this? Recall? I mean, okay. So yeah, I got a I got a notice in May saying that um, uh, Ford's. Uh, as of late, or that are produced between certain dates, and mine is one of them, um, could uh, have an under the hood fire, whether the car is even uh, if, if it's on or off, and to park away from structures and to get it to your nearest mm. Ford dealership as soon as possible. And soon as possible, that's serious. Well, it said as soon as possible, right? And <clears throat> well, first it was in May, I get this notice, and it said, just wait. And then we'll give you some more information. Then I get another notice a week or two ago saying that, like, you, your vehicle, VIN, you know, your VIN matches, you know, one of the cars that should be checked. And it said that they would, um, you know, give you a loaner car and blah, blah, blah. None of that is true, by the way. I called the Ford dealership. They're, oh, no, no, we have a shortage of cars. We can't give you a loaner car. Um, you'll either have to wait here or get a ride. You know, it was just, well, what's the point? Okay, fine. So I make the appointment, but I can't make it. I change the appointment, and I was like, oh, like, how far can I push this? And the woman's like, you can come whenever you want. Well, how urgent could it possibly be if I can come (laughs) whenever I want? Mind you, in between my first notice and my second notice, I had another two letters that came talking about how there's a shortage of my style vehicle. 
and how um, they will, you know, pay me a premium to turn it in because there's been a high demand for 2021. This recall 2021 vehicle. Ford Expeditions. I'm like, why does somebody want a 2021? Right. We're heading into 2023 soon. Um, and I'm like, this I, now you can see where conspiracy uh, theorists mm. are are made of. You know, it's it, it's it's like. First, you're telling me there's a recall. Then you're saying there's a high demand for my car. You're going to pay me a premium, and that you, mind you, I have no interest rate on my car. I financed it with zero interest. They they said that they would give me a great interest rate for a new car. Like, I'm like I don't want anything you're offering me. And now you're telling me I absolutely have to bring it in for this recall. I'm like, what are they going to do to my car when I bring it in? It seems to me, knock on wood, running okay. No <laughs> fires under the hood so far. No, no, not so far. Not so far. So that's wild. It is wild. So, but if it's so urgent, why are they so nonchalant? Yeah, yeah. Come in wherever you can. I actually messaged. I actually I spoke to someone at another Ford dealership before I called the one I'm going to, and um, they they are like, we don't actually have the parts, but we'll get in touch with you when we uh, (laughs) do. But they, but I'm like, do you? But you're only supposed to be checking it. You don't even know if my vehicle absolutely needs this replacement only 21 have caught on fire that is uh so i, I wouldn't think that'd be enough for a recall but again it's not one of my vehicles that's on fire it does feed into a, a conspiracy level of thinking let me ask you about this john let me run this by you this is a story that's in the uh, new york post as of yesterday oklahoma mom now you're not on tiktok right john tiktok yeah, no, I, the, the only thing I look is that libs of tiktok on twitter uh-huh like okay, okay. <laughs> uh are you on tiktok no I am. I don't use it very much. Yeah, okay. I, so, I technically am on it. Yes. But so it's the big thing now. I'm not on TikTok, but I know it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing now. The Ch- Chinese love it. They get all the data from it. It's great. But um, great. an Oklahoma mom <laughs> has gone viral on TikTok after sharing a, a video that shows her practicing an active shooter drill with her young son. So there's a 23-year-old woman, Cassie Walton. She uploaded this clip to TikTok on Tuesday. It's now racked up more than 7 million views. In the video, this mom is seen coaching her 5-year-old son who's wearing a Spider-Man-themed bulletproof backpack. And then uh, a call over the intercom says, this is not a drill. Everybody go in the corner and be really quiet and still. What do you do? And then Walton, uh, Cassie Walton asks her son, who rushes to a nook at the side of the room. And they go through every detail of this active shooter drill. Now, this is dividing parents that have seen this video or read the coverage, the news coverage of this video, about whether it's appropriate to have a five-year-old go through this uh, active shooter drill. It's to say nothing of the fact that there appear to be no sanctioned Spider-Man bulletproof backpacks for sale. But um, is this something that parents should be doing with their uh, five-year-old? I know you, uh, your your daughters are a bit older, John. What's your take on the idea of an active I mean, shooter drill in I this mean, day and this age? Is the- the country that that we have now, I, I mean, with the schools and all the shootings in malls. I, uh, listen, when I, when I was raising my kids, you know, we first took them on the subway. We explained to them, this is where you stand on the subway. You stand back from the platform. You go to the middle car. I mean, this is taking it now to another level uh, uh, of that. And I think the paranoia you're putting into a five-year-old uh, by telling him, all right, 
I don't know where this woman lives, but she better move. But it, because, uh, you know, if she's worried about a five-year-old kid in her own house being shot dead, I mean, she needs to move. There's a big difference between uh, riding on a subway, isn't there, Noel, uh, which is something that you're going to do almost every day, versus being in an active shooter situation, which most people, most five-year-olds certainly are not going to be in that situation. You think this is responsible parenting, or do you think this is uh, feeding into hysteria and uh, people being perpetually anxious (laughs) about the worst thing that can happen? You know, I think it's just fine line. I think you want to have your kid prepared for emergencies, clearly. But it seems like in your own house doing a live shooter drill might be going a little bit beyond that. Yeah, well, I, Frank, what you don't realize is that they do these drills in school already. Mm-hmm. Well, we, have, we talked about that. There's a big debate about whether that's appropriate as well. I mean, it's insane. I mean, on one hand, you're it, it, again, it's it's like the thing we were talking about with masks. You're feeding into this fear and, and, and teaching your kids to be fearful. But by the same token, it's like, okay, but you also want them to be prepared for anything. It's the same thing as saying, make sure you cross the, look both ways before you cross the street. It's the, the things that you teach your kids. Now, I don't necessarily agree with what this woman is doing. Correction to what you said, though, about the Spider-Man backpack. They do have now these things that you can put in your kid's backpack that are bulletproof, that you just oh, stick I them see. in okay. any backpack. And they can use it as a shield, which is terrifying. Um, I... Um, do so you like what this mom is doing? No, so. not necessarily. No, I think that it, it is an unnecessary uh, – c- considering that the school is already doing it and they're telling them where to, to crouch down and where to hide and where to – not to talk. I mean, they, they, they're already doing it in school. So why do it at home too? I mean, I, 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 I think it's absurd. It's terrifying. It it, uh, it certainly seems that way to me. Uh, I uh, again maybe maybe the, the, there's such a as uh, Noel said a fine line between uh, being prepared for a bad situation and then sort of uh, preparing your child for the worst thing that they could ever encounter. Um, by the way, you you mentioned the sleepover thing before. Where do you come down on sleepovers? You so I was saying pro and con um, because I'm I'm. I grew up having sleepovers as well, but I also grew up in a time before technology. And now, you know, you have kids um, um, who um, have phones and have access to things that uh, your kid might not have. So that's a huge thing, even for when they go over to their house, you know, Um, as far as talking to the parents. And that's very old school, you know, like. You said that my yeah, parents hi. would talk Char- to Charlie's going to stay over. Okay, well, tonight. I live in a town of a, you know a bunch of uh, you know um, drunk parents. I mean, we know this, right? Like, I mean, we we <laughs> I've, I've been on vacation with these people. Uh, we 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 have a great time, but I don't really want them caring for my child overnight because uh, I mean, uh, there are very few people um, at all that I live around that I would want um, my child sleeping over their house because there's a lot of. Um, uh, what do they call it? Free range parenting going on because they're just they're just not paying attention. You know, they just think everything's going to be fine. And I guess for the most part, it will be. I've had. I don't think drunkenness is part of free range parenting. By the uh, way, no, no. But I'm saying I, I, yeah, I know the social habits of um, people. I also am not a big person. I'm not a big fan of um, my kid being. I, I have no suspicions of anyone that uh, it, it, around me, but I have daughters, and it's it feels a little like icky sometimes if you don't know if they have like older siblings that are boys or like, you know, you, uh-huh. th- there's that aspect. Are there guns in the house? There's that aspect. 
um, drugs in the house, probably. So, There's that aspect. You, you, you're not pro-sleepover. But so. they can sleep. I've had, my older daughter has had a couple sleepovers at my house because I'm the one supervising and I know that I'm paying attention and I'm, yeah, it's a control thing, you know, mm-hmm. to have your child out of your control. It's not about them being scared at night or whatever because they can always call you or you know, golf cart home. Um, Naturally, but right. I With think that, that tax break. <laughs> I just, I, so you're happy to I'm host pro, the sleepover? I'm actually very unhappy to host the sleepover from the perspective of it's a pain, but I'm, I am I would rather do that than have them sleep out of the house. Gotcha. Um, no, I know you're not a parent, but uh, did you go to, you did sleepovers when you were a younger guy, right? Or when you were a kid, you would sleep over a friend's house? Yeah. And yeah, now the sure. trend seems to be moving Less in that direction. I, I think that's a shame. I think that's a, an important rite of, uh, of passage for, you know, for a young person. Maybe not, uh, maybe more so for boys than girls. But uh, I, I think it's a shame that, that, that we're now in an era where parents are not as, not as comfortable with, with sleepovers. Uh, what do you think? I agree. I think it's sad. Um, you know, I would think also, you know, it, we on the parent, if they were going to allow it, to know where they're sending their kid also. I think that's also part of it. Right. If you're well, friends sure. with the other uh, parents and you have a good feeling for them, that's a little different than just sending your kids sure. to any random house. Right. It's, um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a shame. I, uh, you know? John, what do you think? It, it's a strange concept, particularly where I grew up in a – you could say an immigrant neighborhood in Queens with Irish and Italians. There were six in my family. Italians had eight to ten kids. There was no such thing as sleeping over another kid. They couldn't sleep in their own house. Everybody was sleeping in rooms. You, 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 it was inconceivable to say, oh, listen, I'm bringing over a couple of guys from another house to sleep. Sleep where? We're already in triple bunk beds living in the house. So, I mean, it, it really didn't come up because if you live in really tight quarters, you're not sleeping over anybody's house. You're trying to even make it where your own kids can have a little privacy. Uh, 800-848-9222. A bunch of folks have been uh, patiently holding. I want to get to a few folks, but just because even if they're a little off topic, they've been kind enough to wait and hold for a while. Uh, Jeff is in Forest Hills. Hello, Jeff. Jeff. All right. Jeff wasn't holding as long as we thought. Uh, John (laughs) is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Hello. I I have a lot to say, but I'll keep this. Uh, Brie, first of all, that was a great interview you did with my favorite honorary uncle earlier, Maliki. And, John, it was good to see you yesterday at the Friars Club. That was a, uh, that was a, a selection from your play, right, that you were reading? No, that that was a new thing about how I got on to the Moth Radio Hour. But that, that's, uh, oh, oh that, right, right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, that, 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 that was certainly one of the highlights. Uh, afterwards, you can, you can tell... Frank about it. By the way, I sent you Thank both you. a link to the pictures I took yesterday. So well, when, you, when you check your emails, you should take a look. Um, I was, wasn't going to talk about vaccines, but I am going to disagree respectfully with Molina. If we did not have the COVID vaccines, we would have had much higher mortality rates. The reason why COVID is not as dangerous as it is now is because of several dirty words, evolution via natural selection. COVID has evolved to become more benign, and it's probably going to be sticking around like uh, the common flu as a result. Anything you want to uh, add in response, Marlena? I mean, you know, you could – sure, but, I mean, the fact that they're saying that – 
people who have had COVID and 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 um, and fought it with natural immunity versus people who have the vaccine. Um, and there, there's not really much of a difference whatsoever. Um, I, I just don't understand. Like, I, I think it's hard to say at this point, considering they don't even understand their own data, to say that without the that without the vaccine, that there will be a higher mortality rate. I don't even think they know that. And you won't know it either because they are keeping it under wraps for the next 75 years. I, again, I respectfully disagree with you for two reasons. I've trained as an evolutionary biologist, and in the past I've worked in epidemiological research, and uh, I've been following what's been going on. So You followed the you science know. like the rest of us that keeps changing? Cool. Well, you know, I see what CDC is, is reporting, and, and yes, uh, things, things, are ch- things are changing. I mean, it's the nature of science to change. So. All right. Thank you, John. He sure showed you, Marlena. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. 800-848-9222. Let me give folks uh, who are uh, just waking up the latest in terms of the uh, some of the primaries yesterday. Obviously, the big race that a lot of folks were watching in Wyoming has uh, Liz Cheney being defeated for uh, re-election in the primary. In Alaska, where uh, Sarah Palin is trying to mount uh, a comeback, quite a p- political comeback, She is going to be advancing to the November general election for the state's sole seat in the House. The another Republican, Nick Begich and uh, Democrat um, Mary Sattler Paltola are also going to appear on the ballot in the fall. Alaska has uh, this uh, top four system where uh, the four candidates that uh, that did the best, they're going to advance and then. They're going to do ranked choice voting in the fall election to determine who actually uh, wins that race. So Palin uh, could be uh, making quite a comeback politically and uh, representing the entire state of Alaska, as she did when she was selected to be uh, John McCain's running mate. 800-848-9222. Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning, everybody in the background there. Um, first thing I wanted to talk about was um, the uh, 9-11 um, museum. I, I, I honestly thought you were, were serious about it, or that you didn't know. Um, I'm, I'm very upset because I, I lost a lot of friends in 9 11. I actually joined the Army right after that. And um, I felt very bad about not going to this uh, museum. I, I just have no gumption to go. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like really afraid of going there and then breaking down because I lost so many people. And I'm like, you know, it, it's time to go. You know, my, my, my wife went, my friends went. Time for me to go. So now that now that I know that it's open again, I'll, I will make. Well, yeah, the, the tribute museum is not a, is closing today, but the the broader nine eleven memorial museum that's remaining open, as I understand it. Well, where do you guys come down? I, I know, I think all three of you were living in here, here in New York on September eleventh. You were not, uh, Marlena, but I, I almost think that the museum. I've always viewed it as something that for people that didn't live here needed to see it to sort of know what it was like. But people that live here, really, they know what it was like because they were here. I mean, have you been to the 9-11 Museum? No? I haven't yet. I actually would like to go, but I haven't been yet. Yeah, uh, but so... But I sort of agree with what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Right. How about you, Joe? We had a lot of... Funny, I haven't went to it either. I just, uh, like you said, we experienced it. I I just wondered, does a Holocaust survivor go to Yad Vashem? I I don't know. You know, know. like to to relive that experience? I, I... I don't know because I heard that one part where you hear the phone call and the messages that were left. Right. They have to have special exit doors that people can run out 
because they get so emotional during hearing the last messages from the Twin Towers to their loved ones. And it's, a, it's, a, it's supposed to be a great museum. At some stage, I'm going to go to it, but... You know, 20 years is too soon. Uh, Marlena, have you been there? Why or why not? No, just the Memorial Fountain where, mm-hmm. the, you right. know, where the right. tower was. That's the only thing I went to just to see the, the size of it. But that was about it. No. So have you not gone to the museum intentionally or because you don't want to go or because you just haven't had a chance or whatever the case may be? I'm not a huge fan of memorials in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I um, – be. I hate to say begrudgingly, but begrudgingly did go to Pearl Harbor. And, and, and I find it, um, I do find stuff like that very depressing, you know, because it, it, I know it's educational, but like we already know about Pearl Harbor. We do know about the Holocaust. We know about 9-11 and it's like to then have to walk through it and right. look, it, it, it's, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. See, to me, I find something like Pearl Harbor a lot different than September 11th because it, to me, Pearl Harbor is history. And while September 11th was history, it's it's history that I that I lived through and was aware of. Uh, to me, there's a lot more distance for well, something that I wasn't around One's civilians and one's military. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference, too. Yeah, that's true. Because you that's don't true. really uh, – at Pearl Harbor, these were military men that were killed. The Twin Towers, that was all civilians. No, right. absolutely. But I just meant it memorials in general. Right. No, I get it. I yeah. get it. It's, it's a downer. No question about it. Yeah. All right. Um, we're on, a, on a more positive note, we're going to try and give away $1,000 to somebody that uh, can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. We'll also see how our panelists can do in response uh, to this. We'll see if they can jot down their answers to these 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and maybe we'll give one of them a prize of some sort. If you want to compete in the $1,000 uh, minute, in just a moment, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And if you're selected, you can be the recipient of uh, $1,000. Ten questions, 60 seconds, simple as that. Go ahead and call 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Way up north. North to Alaska. Way up north. North to Alaska. North to Alaska. Go north for us, you song. North to Alaska. Go north for us, you song. Big Sam left Seattle in the year of 92. With George Pratt, his partner, and brother Billy, too. They crossed the Yukon River and found Well, yeah, speaking of Alaska and the uh, election there yesterday, uh, there's, you know, for a state that has a relatively small population, they certainly have an outsized impact on what's happening in the country uh, politically. It looks like Lisa Murkowski, well, not looks like, Lisa Murkowski, the senator, is also going to be advancing to the November general election. So uh, we'll see what that means for the Republicans' chances of keeping the Senate and what it means for Lisa Murkowski's chances of uh, holding on to her seat. Her uh, Donald Trump-backed challenger also uh, is going to be advancing to that as well. All right. Without further ado, it is time for us to try and give away $1,000 to somebody that can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank. 
Murano. All right. Well, uh, to make things even more interesting, we have three very interesting people in the studio. John McDonough, Marlena Shivo, and Noel Ashman. And we're going to have them play the game along with today's contestant to see, because I'm always accused of picking questions that are too difficult or something like that. We're going to see how they fare as we go along in this route. We're going to have them play the game just as the as the caller would. And let's say hello to Brian in Old Tapan, New Jersey. Hello, Brian. Hello. Brian, are you, you're familiar with the game? Yes, I am. All right, Brian. My, my friend uh, Robert Off is the assemblyman in Old Tapan. Do you know him at all? I know of him. I don't know him personally. All right. Well, if you run into him, tell him I said hi. He's a good guy. I haven't seen him in a while. All right. Um, so you're familiar with the game, right? Yes, I am. All right. So let's get started. 60 seconds. The guys in studio, so that they don't give you an answer, they're going to write down their answers, and then we'll see how everybody does at the conclusion. So even if you get an answer wrong, Brian, we're going to keep going and go through all these in uh, 60 seconds to see if anybody here wins the 1,000 along with you. All right, Brian. Name a cereal. Captain Crunch. What do vegetarians not eat? Meat. What color are tennis balls? Green. The Statue of Liberty was a gift from which country? France. What sort of animal was Moby Dick? A whale. What film features Humphrey Bogart as a bar owner named Rick Blaine? Key Largo. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you're, you're wrong. We're going to keep going, though, for these guys. Who was Ross Perot's running mate in the 1992 presidential election? Write down your answers. Alfred Nobel, father of the Nobel Peace Prize, made his fortune with the invention of which powerful tool? What member of the Rat Pack died on Christmas Day, 1995? And finally... What is the capital of Scotland? Okay, that's a minute. Now, uh, Br- Brian, the question you got wrong, and stay on the line, give Avery your information about uh, the the Humphrey Bogart film, was uh, the correct answer there was Casablanca. Now, I'm assuming everybody got the first five questions right. Uh, got a cereal, meat, green, uh, France, and a whale. Did anybody not get those five correct? Uh, Mac, we turn the... Uh, I had, I had, Ma- I had the tennis ball is white. You did? You had the tennis balls yeah. white? I had yellow green. <laughs> I had yellow. <clears throat> what, yeah. what is the matter with you? All of you guys got the tennis ball question Yellow. Wrong. Tennis balls are yellow. Tennis balls are green. Tennis green. balls are absolutely green. Are they kind of yeah, right, yellowish green? Right. I get yellow, I get okay. yellow okay. green. Right. So I we'll give you guys yellowish green. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> no brought a friend that I made, uh, that made the mistake of allowing to sit in the studio. She's now sticking up for his answer on the <laughs> on the tennis balls. Kim, oh, wait, thank you. For, um, but uh, okay, so we have uh, we have a cereal, we have meat, we have yellowish green. Everybody got the country the Statue of Liberty came from, right? Okay. Um, everybody got whale from Moby Dick. All right. Um, Number six, question six, what film features Humphrey Bogart as a bar owner named Rick? You no. did not get this? No, I did not get this. Casablanca. 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 All right. Okay. So Marlene is eliminated on question six. This is, was this was a tough one. I wondered if it was too tough for a question seven. Who was Ross Perot's running mate in 1992? Noel, did you get it? I missed that one. No. Nah. I had the mindless colonel. 
I couldn't think of his last name. <laughs> the guy just looked in there. And, what am I doing here? I couldn't get his last name. We, we but he might was a have colonel, given you that. He? he was an admiral. An admiral. Admiral right. James Stockdale, okay. uh, the highest ranking person ever to be held at a yeah. POW, <laughs> uh, a tremendous American patriot. All right, so we might have given you credit. Number eight. Alfred Nobel made his fortune with the invention of what tool? Anybody get it? Dynamite. 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 Did you get that one? I did not get that All one. right. So uh, I think John might have still been in the hunt. Number nine, what member of the Rat Pack died on Christmas Day, 1995? Anybody get it? I said Frank Sinatra. I said Frank I said Sinatra. Sinatra. Sammy yeah. I said both. Dean Martin. <laughs> 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 Look, Sammy Davis and Frank Sinatra. All right. and, uh, and then lastly, what's the capital of Scotland? Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. It is Edinburgh. Yeah. Did everybody get that I one? I missed that one. All right. So nobody got all 10. Nobody got all 10. We may need to make these questions a little bit easier going forward because this is a smart group. Uh, and uh, if none of you guys Just can getting like the, the mega lottery. Who's winning? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we should look at doing that, is rolling over the prizes if people don't win, right? I mean, wouldn't that well, be something? That, that, Wait, who you... died? Who was the Rat Pack? Dean Martin. Christmas oh. Day, 1995. I don't know all the Rat Pack people. I know Sam. You don't know Casablanca. You could be up to 100,000 now on on your game. You know, we we had two winners back to back. So uh, then it looked like people were going to just start winning like crazy. But things have come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, All right. 800-848-9222 if uh, if you want to call in. That's 800-848-9222. Speaking of Scotland, I want to get you guys' collective take on this. A new law is making uh, period products free for everybody in Scotland. The Period Products Act says that schools, universities, and government buildings must make tampons and pads and other similar feminine products available for free in bathrooms. So this is a new law that's just taken effect, and the Scottish government said it became the first in the world to legally protect the rights of, you know, menstruating women. I am surprised that no other country has done this before Scotland. Uh, But uh, here we are. If you're a young woman who's menstruating, Scotland is the country for you. Uh, Your reaction to this, Marlena, what do you think is the lone female commenting here? No disrespect to Kim. Uh, Well, you know, (laughs) what we, but according to the, uh, the, the menstrual, um, awareness act. What was a menstrual uh, equality act? You should be asking the men too, because right. yes. they're going to start putting uh, feminine products in men's bathrooms. Congratulations, <laughs> men! That's equality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as it being course. free, I mean, I guess maybe I'm like too American. I feel like people would just be taking so many and bringing it home. Like, it, can you trust them to take just one? Or two, you know, like, don't you think that they're just going to be like, not no pun intended, like bleeding products because it, people are just going to be taking them for their home stash well, I, and I never buying I mean, them it, again? Is that what you would do? No, no, I wouldn't do that. No, why would I do that? Well, I don't know. But, you know, I always used to wonder when I was when I was younger, you don't see these as much these days, but you used to have the newspaper boxes where you put a quarter in or 50 cents in, and you take one newspaper. And I would always wonder, why do they does someone not take five newspapers? Because when why they would open you read thing? five newspapers? But if you go well, to well, a restaurant, right. but, but, but if you go to a restaurant, <clears throat> but but, you know, obviously seven days, that's seven products. Right. Uh-huh. OK, so. um but you go to a restaurant, you know old people take, like, salt and pepper and whatever. I feel like it's the same thing. 
they take like packets of sugar and they put it in their purse. Right, but that's I feel like that's almost like hotel soap. That's baked into what they're expected to give away. I mean, I think people are prepared, restaurant owners, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Noel, um, restaurant owners, business owners, they're expecting people to take that of salt course, and pepper, but, right? but, sure. but if you are, but if you are um, someone who, you know, maybe is calling, you know, on hard times or whatever, or is just one of these people who likes free stuff. Right, you're going to go shopping in bathrooms for <laughs> feminine see, products? I, I all don't know. I could, I, I don't know. I could see people doing it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I can. Maybe I have more faith in, uh, maybe in the I'm public. talking to three men who yeah, don't maybe. even want to talk about feminine yeah. products <laughs> and, and don't well, care what, I, one way or the other. Frank, I want to go old school. I have never, I raised three daughters, never once did I ever bring up about them having a period, what to do about it, how to solve it. I left that all to the wife. So it never existed to me. And I'm, as far as I'm concerned, this doesn't exist to me. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to know about it. So, no, let's say, what about if they would have proposed this here in this country? Where would you come down on that? <laughs> does it make one. a difference? Yeah. I mean, I. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem. I mean, that's not a. I don't have a problem not, with it. I guess speak. I'll speak for him. <laughs> Feminine <laughs> products to Noel are as foreign as Scotland. No. Okay. Well, so when you've had um, bars and restaurants and clubs over the years, have you ever stocked your ladies' room with feminine products? Well, actually, when you have a bathroom attendant, they often have a lot of products, including feminine products. Well, that's yes. another thing. We've so that seen, does happen. We've seen the bathroom attendant, which I used to love. Uh, I used, We've seen that kind of become a rarity. It used to be everywhere. Now I feel like – now, you don't have a place currently, right? That you, Not that right you, now. I feel like we've gone from seeing them everywhere to seeing them almost never. I mean, I don't know if that's due to COVID or changing economic times. What's that about, the demise of the bathroom attendant? I'm sure COVID had a lot to do with it, certainly, uh, at some point. Um, I think that certain people – I always was in the middle on it. Certain people feel it's kind of intrusive and they, that they're you know, trying to get tips and they're trying to give you things. Uh, other people like it a lot, like you, who like to have love those nice guys. things. Yeah, so it really you know what? depends. They, they had everything in the world that you could ask for, right? Um, your bathroom attendant at uh, at Veruca was it Diego? What was his name? Yes, he was like, yeah, it was I Diego. Because wow, I, I have because imp- a bathroom attendants are very important to me. That's impressive. A- and you could say to this guy, "All right, uh, Diego." Uh, do you have a mint? And he'd come up with a mint. All right, uh, Diego, uh, do you have a, uh, a tipperillo? Uh, yeah, here's a tipperillo. All right, uh, Diego, uh, do you have a decoder ring? He pulls out a decoder ring. Like, the guy had everything. And did he have tampons? Yes, I'm sure he did. Wherever he is now. He did, yes. He actually did. He, he had everything. And yet, he, and he was always there. He always had very sage advice. He always knew knew the score. Hey, Diego, where's the best spot to go for pizza? He'd tell you, oh, this is over there. He said, you know, he always knew. That's what's missing in the restaurant, bar, nightlife experience in my view. In fact, I would go a step farther than Scotland is here. I would mandate every place has to have a bathroom attendant. Maybe it's different in a guy's bathroom, but women are not fans of bathroom attendants because it is very, like, they don't say anything. They like, There's a towel right here, but they want to hand you one. It, it, it's so awkward. And you know the other reason I like bathroom attendants, honestly, is I feel that and maybe this is more common in men's rooms than ladies' rooms. I feel that a lot of guys aren't really washing their hands in the restaurant. I feel like they do the half wash where they run their hands under the water so that the people in there think they're washing and then they leave. But with the bathroom attendant, 
there's such guilt about not washing your hands. Everybody's washing their their hands, and I want you know people washing their hands out of are the you, bathroom. Are you a hand washer? Yes, hundred percent, absolutely. Okay. Right? I mean, uh, I mean, I'm I, with you on that. Two two reasons I'm against those guys. First of all, <laughs> nobody against- has money. <laughs> To tip anymore because nobody has cash. And when you're going in <laughs> well, to do an eight ball, it's embarrassing having him watch you <laughs> when you're putting it up on the counter. I mean, uh, come on. Can I have some privacy? All right. I think that about uh, – that slabs <laughs> a little some clubs, not ours, they'll provide that for you too. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, – hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. You could be heard on any subject you want for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. Uh, I want to thank Noel Ashman. Noel, it was great to see you. Uh, congratulations on everything that you're doing and uh, as i said to you privately and jeffrey gurian when he was here i would love to be a voice in one of these upcoming motion pictures that you're that you're making if it, if it, <laughs> if it makes sense you know i have voice experience from that episode of damages that i was in so uh consider me, consider I, me. thank you for having me always a pleasure to be here and i'd love to do that actually. if folks want to get in touch with you or follow you or see what you're doing what's the best way for them to do that Probably Instagram at Noel Ashman, N-O-E-L-A-S-H-M-A-N. And John McDonough, uh, heard regularly on the radio on WBAI, also on uh, all forms of social media at Captivist, and he's going to be performing his one-man show off the meter in September. At the Greek Cultural Center in Astoria, September 23rd, 24th, and 25th. You can get tickets now. Just type in Greek Cultural Center, Astoria, and I'm hoping John Casmatidis, the wife, and his daughter come to it because they've been to this place already, of course. It's, it's, it's Greek. Uh, naturally, it's all Greek to me. Marlena Shivo, it's always a treat. And uh, people are going to get to hear you again at 640 with Sid Rosenberg in your Who's More Tan, Who's More Fit competition, <laughs> right? She's going to have to shave her head. <laughs> exactly. That's the next step. All right, Marlena. Actually, he's going to have to wear you. a wig. Um, congratulations on that tax break for that uh, golf cart. 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight. Well, it's always sort of a disappointing morning when you don't get to hear any Selena Gomez. But I do want to thank uh, Matt Blaze for doing some research into what the Selena Gomez community is called. And apparently they are Selenators. Selenators. That's right. Selenators. That's not a catchy name. Uh, I can see why why, uh, I never heard that term before. All right. Without further ado, it's time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. It's time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Victor in Manhattan. Uh, when VP Dan Quayle misspelled potato with, with an E at the end, he was mercilessly, mercilessly ridiculed by the media. And yet when, when Joe Biden makes a gaffe, the, the silence is deafening. Mike in Staten Island. Hey, good morning. Uh... It breaks my heart to say Dino and son will be on vacation until August 31st, so he's going to have to go hungry. Mike in Pennsylvania. Yeah, bathroom attendant, they kept the sinks dry. 
That was the best thing. Kept the sinks dry. Your soups didn't get messed up. Jeff in Forest Hills. Yeah, it's because a good friend of mine. I can name all 87 cats. Steady takes care of Inky, Pinky, Kitty, also known as Curtis, uh, Big Cat, Kitty. And stop what's going on over there. He told us what you guys are doing. So knock it off at night. We're going to do a raid. Mike in Lake George. Tomorrow, Frank, great show. You know, I knew uh, eight people who died 9-11 from Oceanside Rockwood Center. I volunteered three weeks later, a day I'll never forget. And yesterday, 15 seconds, I didn't have a chance to finish with New York baseball. Uh, the Yankees, unfortunately, they're in a funk. They're funkified. They're funkified. <laughs> and finally, Neil on Staten Island. To the FBI, stop wasting your time in Melania Trump's underwear. The real secrets are in my underwear. Am I right, Marlena? Uh, that slams the lid on things for today. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, what day is today? Wednesday? Wednesday. Jeez. Where does the week go? Uh, have a great hump day. Frank Moreno, good day.